going to your butt. I'm quite surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, it's us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Ladies and gentlemen, Elvis Costello. Welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. I do have to say, after taking two, three days off, having all my things comped, so to speak, uh, you know, now that it's Tuesday, it's like, oh, I've got a whole week of shows to do. And I love doing this job, but uh, it's nice, you know, when you can take a break. But luckily, tonight, it's going to be a great show. I already know it, because the gentleman I have on the program with me, Fortunately, he's not in studio, but he is on the phone. Rimzo Martinez. He has a new book out. You might know him from his Rimzo Republic podcast. He's been all around the podcasting world, had things published all over the place, especially in the liberty and conservative space. But before we get to your book, Rimzo, I wanted to bring you right on. How are you tonight? I am sunburned, tired, but I am having a whole lot of fun. I just helped out uh, Nick Freitas. Shaq Hill run out here in Virginia. We had a giant primary today. We're actually, from the way that the exit polls are looking, is this might actually be a record-breaking primary day, which, you know, for political nerds like us, you expect it to always be that way. You want people engaged all the time. But when it comes to primaries, which I feel are the real elections, uh, people typically don't really turn up. So today has been fun. Had a lot of people turn up, and, you know, there's also be in probably by the time that the show is over, so I'll be rushing over to a few watch parties to either celebrate or cry, but either way, I will be drinking, so I think <laughs> I win either way. Yeah, I think you do, and we went through that last week in Alabama, and I have to say, at least from where I sit, there's a lot of fatigue over things like political commercials. I mean, we're going to have the runoff in, in July for certain offices, but it, I know that feeling. I've worked on a few campaigns that you work several months and then you're sitting there waiting for the results, and you're right. I've been, unfortunately, mostly on the losing side, and, you know, it's I, I personally don't feel that bad. I feel like, oh, we put all this work, but we lost. I feel for the candidates after that, like all the money, all the time, putting your name name and face out there, and then you lose. Yeah, I mean, I had a woman come over to me, and, you know, bless her heart, she was like, Rem, so I think you'd be great for state senate or delegate. Somebody spread a rumor that I was considering a run for House of Delegates here in Virginia, and I was like, absolutely not. I love myself too much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why would you put yourself through that ringer? But I, before we get too far afield, talking about, you know, being political nerds, I want to talk about your book. The title of it is Stay Away from the Libertarians. Oh, my. Now, I, I didn't just roll off the tongue. 
It really does. And I mean, I think a lot of people would agree with it. I didn't follow your advice, though, of the title, at least the literal translation of this title. Over the weekend, I went to FeeCon, and I have to say that I really enjoy, enjoyed myself. There were a lot of, not libertarian nerds per se, they were around, but a lot of just very creative, successful people. Some people weren't even libertarians, and we were just all sharing stories. And it was like, I'd been to a few conferences, a few get-togethers. This was this uplifting experience. Now, the only weird part, Remzo, is that if you stay out too late at an Atlanta hotel bar, say to 2, 2.30 in the morning, you might be approached by what she called herself a, what, a lady of the night. And I realized, oh, you know, this is probably not a practically wise choice or a moral choice but on top of that fee wasn't going to comp me a cheap whore so it's like you know let's just go to bed joey but anyway the point of this book is i think you're right in my wheelhouse that i've been writing for years about the the team sport aspect of politics and you know trump derangement syndrome is bandied about all the time i think i've seen presidential derangement syndrome in general or just political derangement syndrome in general that power not only corrupts leaders and people serving as representatives i think it corrupts the people and you have a spin on this you put some meat on the bones of this kind of abstract argument i put out all the time by sharing your own experience through you know working in politics as an activist yeah i mean the thing is, I'm not, when I go out and I huff my book, the one thing that I've been trying to tell people is this is not the best libertarian book you're ever going to read. This is not a, uh, you know, libertarian manifesto. This is not introduction to libertarianism. But this will probably be the funniest book on politics and the funniest libertarian book ever written. Because what I've basically done is I've done the one thing that people have wanted to do for a while, but I was like, you know, I think we need to flesh it out a little bit more, put some meat on it, as you said. Why do libertarians have such a bad reputation? Because, dare I say it, liberty is sexy right now. And mm-hmm. people like the ideas of freedom. And it crosses barriers, language, borders, races, cults, creeds, wackos, everything. Everyone wants to be free. But as uh, my good friend Logan Albright goes ahead and says at the beginning of the book and the foreword is, to say you want to be free is inherent. To say you want other people to be free is philosophy. So why is it this very basic notion of, you know, live your life as long as you don't hurt people and take your stuff? Why is that such radical thinking? And why is it when I go out and I say I'm a libertarian, people think I'm, you know, Judge Roy Moore walking around the mall trying to find the schoolgirls. So, you know, it, it's just why do we have that terrible, terrible stereotype? And I, I think the biggest thing that I did in my book was try and combat that. So that way, if you go through it and you're still not a libertarian at least maybe you'll respect us a little bit more let's have a seat at the table next time because we're not there to go out and get you we don't want to go ahead and control your life but you know why don't we go ahead and think back on that if anything we do want to take over the government just so that way we can leave you alone exactly i hope i I accomplished that well and I, i think the way you put it in that okay you've had strange encounters i'd imagine with people on the left Strange encounters with people on the right. Strange encounters definitely with libertarians themselves. And I want to start with our own tribe, so to speak. If you had to criticize libertarians, and I think we agree on this a lot, I mean, how would you talk to them and say, 
okay, I can see why conservatives and liberals, even if they're not like so partisan or far gone and corrupted by politics themselves, why just say a normal average person who's somewhat interested in politics might meet a libertarian and go, what in the world are you people about? I, I think it comes down to, this, to these very two basic things. One, we don't speak the same language of them. I mean, we don't speak the same language of them, as them. And then, you know, we're coming from a distinctly different world because, I mean, really, really ask, who is Murray Rothbard to the world? Who has ever learned about the non-aggression principle? Who actually knows what laissez-faire translates to in English? And then go ahead and ask them, what is the relationship between them and the state? You go ahead and you go to any apathetic college kid right now who doesn't necessarily give a crap about politics, and they're going to look at you as if you're speaking Chinese. So what we do is we try and show people how smart we are. We try and show them how enlightened we are, but we're coming across them as if, you know, we're, we're Martians almost. So that's, I think, the biggest thing. We're so quick to want to show people how libertarian we are, we don't show them why we're libertarians. It's like we scream liberty, we don't entice them with it. And that's, uh, that's the biggest problem that, you know, I mean, I've had that. Of course, when I became a libertarian, I wanted to just shout it to the world. It was like, you know, being born again, so to speak. Right. But, uh, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. We don't talk like they talk, and then we go ahead and we bring up the ideas that they've never even considered. Right, and I think the big kick I'm on, and I am pretty much an unabashedly libertarian person, but what I've tried to do with this show is have a good time, that I have more interest than just politics. I like talking about religion. I like talking about sex. I definitely like talking about sex. I like talking about pop culture, movies, and music, and everything that's kind of professional wrestling, everything that's going on in my life. I want you to know me as Joey first, whether you agree or disagree with me, politically speaking. And rather than walk, because I've experienced this, man. I've gone into a, like, say, gone seen the importance of being earnest, put on by the Alabama Shakespeare Festival here in Montgomery. And as soon as the production gets done, they did a phenomenal job of putting it on. I am talking to a bunch of people who know I'm a libertarian, and they're immediately going, oh, so you're a member of the cult of Ayn Rand. And I said, well, you do know. Uh, <laughs> you, you do know the only government an artist should live under is uh, no government at all. And they're like, oh, did Ayn Rand tell you that? And I'm like, actually, Oscar Wilde, the guy who wrote that play we just watched. But uh, at, at the assumption, if you wear the libertarian label on your sleeve, I, I'm interested, and I don't want to give away the whole book, but you start early in your life and how this process has worked out. Uh, but what? Let's take an encounter with somebody from the left. What is say one of the weirdest things that has occurred to you when you woke up? Oh man, where to start? Well, I think the most crazy, like insane story I have about a leftist is when I was uh, working the polls, and no, I was not a stripper. I was uh, working a precinct out in Lynchburg, Virginia, for a city council race I was managing. He was an independent conservative running against an incumbent Republican and a uh, very popular Democrat. And, you know, the, there was this one Democrat poll worker that was there, you know, a nice lady. We were exchanging recipes and showing cat photos to each other. But she began to ask me about my politics. And, you know, I, I probably, like, maybe it was because the sun was beating me down and I was tired. I didn't have coffee that day and I hadn't slept in, like, a week. But it, um... 
you know, she, she looked at me, she's like, so what's the biggest thing that bothers you about Democrats? And I looked at her and I was like, ah, I mean, you guys are just violent. <laughs> now, that's probably not the most, you know, congenial thing you can go ahead and say, but right. you would have thought that I had smacked her mother. And she looked at me, she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you know, everything you guys do has to be enforced through violence and coercion and theft. I mean, you guys just kind of freaked me out a bit. And you would have thought that she was about to go on some SJW scream fest where it was just, you know, uh, that scene from the movie, uh, oh, what is it? Um, it's about the mind control guys where they can make each other's heads explode. Um, it was a lot like that. Scanners, that was a scanners <laughs> where they're like making each other's heads explode. And she looks, she's looking at me like that's about to happen. You know, like one of the demigods from Big Trouble in Little China. She was just about to implode on, <laughs> on the scene. And, you know, it was just really shocking because, yeah, I mean, I could have come at it from a different approach, but my gosh. Like, I'm looking at this person, I'm like, you're supposed to be like a functioning adult, and you're literally just screaming. Yeah. So that, that's it. And, I mean, I literally, like, I literally blew her mind. Yeah, it sounds I like you got, you, whether it was the sun or the lack of coffee, it does sound like you provoked her a little bit. But, a little. <laughs> now, you share one story. I th- it comes here in Montgomery. Of, correct me if I'm wrong, at a Rand Paul event. Uh, an encounter with some, you know, people on the right, and I, of course, work in mostly conservative talk. I get this all the time. I think people here have grown to love me, or if you don't love me, I think they at least understand where I'm coming from. Uh, where, But you do get the conservative who's like, ooh, you're a libertarian. Time to pull out the whole, well, who will build the roads? But it, I, it, was, it was a little worse than who will build the roads in your experience. It was, um, you know, it's it's very weird because let, let's remember in that time frame was around 2014-2015 so libertarian was the buzzword at the time and you know these days you throw a rock and you hit a libertarian if you're lucky but back then it was very rare to find somebody that was a self-identified libertarian because if you called yourself a libertarian people just thought you were a republican who owned a bong and that couldn't be further than the truth you typically own two bongs but that's beside the point um <laughs> I, I was at this, uh, it was the GOP victory dinner because the Republicans had just trounced the Democrats in every, you know, local statewide race that was going on at the time. It was the big Alabama GOP victory, and they had Senator Rand Paul come out, and at the time, I wasn't a Republican, and I just really wanted to go see Rand Paul, and he was nearby, so I was like, let's, you know, let's take on the moment. So I go there, and some of the people knew me because of the student activism I did the Students for Liberty, and my gosh, it was it was not necessarily the most welcoming environment. Now, let's take it back a little bit. Let's go into some history. When the conservative movement in the 50s and 60s was coming together, it came together with the anti-communists, the free market libertarians, and the traditionalists. So libertarians, you would have thought, had a seat at the table. But then comes the Bush 41 era onward, and they just you know, completely got removed from the party. So he, it's really funny. Here you have me. I'm there, and I might as well have been, you know, the guy crashing their party that they didn't really want there. But it's also really ironic, because there they had Senator Rand Paul. So it was just it was just really weird. It's like, oh, we don't like the libertarians, but let's go ahead and headline with the most libertarian Republican in the Senate. And um, it's, it's remarkable how times have changed, because that moment always kind of shows me, you know, that this party system, this this idea that, you know, it's a big-time party, it's not always the case. 
And the libertarians aren't necessarily greeted with the open arms that many people like to think they're being greeted with. Right. Right, and uh, I think there there's a lot of... Uh, well, it's contempt, I think, is the wrong word. It, I am sometimes, especially if I go to, say, a, a traditional Republican meetup, like a party meetup, I I would feel like an alien there. But I would feel just as much a, like an alien at a Democratic meetup, whether it's a student group or the local GOP club. Um, I, I don't feel like I belong to either one. And it really comes down to, you know, we heard Gary Johnson this last election cycle say libertarians are, you know, fiscally conservative, socially liberal. And I suppose that's a nice bumper sticker way to first approach it. But it's not really. Yeah, you've only graduated like first grade. Exactly. It's not really what libertarians are. Yeah, I mean, you, you take that example, and what's one of the first things to pop into your head? It's this concept that, oh, you're just a moderate, because you're the best of both, but you're neither the radical sides of both that no one likes. And, uh, I mean, that was something that I do cover in the book. It's like, you know, when you take that example at face value, what do you have? You might have radical centrism, maybe, but... It's, uh, it's far more than that, and I think a lot of people encountered this when they first came across the ideas of liberty. I, I certainly did. I, I, came in through the, I came into the Liberty House through um, Gary Johnson, not Ron Paul, so a lot of people freak out when I say that, uh, even though since then you know, I'm much more of a Paul guy than a Johnson guy any day of the week. But, uh, I mean, when you look at the ideas of liberty, like it's an entirely just a, you know, distinct worldview. Like, when you go ahead and you compare that to contemporary conservatism or modern progressivism, you know, it's really only liberty versus tyranny, because what's the what's the light between the Democrats and the Republicans sometimes? One guy wants to, you know, expand defense spending, and the other guy wants to expand welfare spending, and all I hear is they're expanding spending, and they're expanding their government control over other people. Meanwhile, where are the libertarians? Well, they're not allowed into the club because... Unlike the Democrat and the Republican, they don't want to go ahead and take other people's stuff and throw it towards their pet projects. Right. So what are you really stuck with at that point? Right. And, I mean, it's like the farm bill compromise that happens all the time. Libertarians don't want to give out farm subsidies or food stamps. I mean, or at least can we can we go in the opposite direction, that each side gets less? It, it is, uh, it's a difficult position to be in, but I also find myself, especially maybe it's this weekend, seeing so many creative, inspiring libertarians, entrepreneurs out there in this world, I feel very happy with where I'm at. I, I don't feel like I need to root for Team Trump all the time or root against Team Trump. I, I will say this, Remzo, I went through uh, the I-can't-stand-Obama phase. In many ways, I, I couldn't stand Obama because... As well-spoken and eloquent as he was, it was like, I know what's under the hood. It's like what you said to the leftists. It's like, you'd use violence and coercion for everything. It's just organized and called a government. And I think I grew out of that. I realized, how foolish am I? And it's where I really changed is after Romney loses. I kind of woke up to, I don't want to play this game anymore. I just want to burn my own trail, uh, express my ideas, and... You know, maybe I can step back from both of the parties and learn to find friends all over the place, whether they're left wing, right wing, or not political at all. 
Exactly. I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir because that Romney race in 2012, that was what really shocked me because I always thought that I was a rather, you know, a politically inclined person. I wanted to get involved with politics. But the day I signed up for Mitt Romney, and I do mention this towards the beginning of the book, uh, you know, before I could knock a single door or make a single phone call, I, I kind of ran away. Like, I ghosted the local Republican Party because when I saw what they really cared about, like, they didn't want to repeat. They didn't want to get rid of Obamacare. They just wanted to put in Romney care. They didn't want to stop the drone wars. They just wanted them to have, you know, R stickers instead of D stickers. So here I am thinking I'm fighting for liberty and freedom and the Constitution. But I'm really just kind of, you know, helping out the Mormon Obama. So I ran <laughs> far, far away, and I had a bit of an existential crisis because I was like, what, what are we really doing? Like, like seriously, what are we doing? Are we just, do, do we really just want to make things just our way because we don't like it when they're in charge? Or do we stand for something? Because I've never liked just being against something. Because if you're just against something, guess what? If you beat them, you're going to ask yourself, well, shoot, what am I for? Right. And then you're going to realize that you just played the political machine. And ultimately, you know, the vicious cycle goes on and on and on. Well, and I, I don't know, I had a friend years ago, and I should have listened to him years ago, but it took me a little while. He was, we're both from Alabama, we both uh, kind of grew up in a conservative culture, fairly conservative households, I think his household was more moderate than my own. But he said, Joey, Republicans don't hate government, they just hate government that isn't theirs to command. And. Preach. And I, I think uh, political derangement syndrome, no matter who the president is, is an envious sort of lust for power. It, it's I want I, either I want to win or I want my guy to be the one you know being hailed on high. And you know, even saying that though, and I'm I'm sure this is another part of your experience, and this is what folks can find in Rimzo's new book: "Stay Away from the Libertarians." Uh, is that you found people who really meant well, who were coming from a place of, I, I genuinely believe in what I'm trying to do. I might not have everything right, but, I mean, is that what you have discovered as as well as the sort of team sport aspect of this? Absolutely. And, you know, my, my biggest criticisms of libertarians really kind of distills to this. If you just want to, you know, rage against the state and constantly lecture people on, you know, these ideas, well, you know, more power to you. Keep doing it. But, you know, why, why do I do this? Why do I put myself out there? Why do I go through the pain and the depression and all the ups and downs? And why did I spend 12, I'm sorry, 10 to 12 hours outside on a perfectly nice day handing stuff out for people I believed in? It's because ultimately I don't want to do this one day. Ultimately, I never want to do this. Ultimately, I really hope that other people don't either, because what I believe in is a lifestyle of freedom. And when I say that, that might sound very nice, but if I were to describe the type of freedom I want, that might not be your definition of freedom mm. or your friend's definition of freedom. And that's the point. If we don't know where we're going, we're never going to get there. And it took me years and years and years to understand that, because when you go through the ups and downs of politics and you know, engaging the culture the way that we've been, you sometimes forget about that, and you become very nearsighted. You begin to put on your blinders, because what you've done is you've forgotten what is my definition of freedom, and am I going there or am I not? And once you understand that, and that's different to each individual, once you finally get that, your life's going to change forever. 
Yes, and I mean, for me, I went through a transformation because of uh, a personal tragedy. And there's always one line. I was reading because I was very depressed. And this guy's always great when you're feeling not only depressed and in a deep melancholy, but a little bit, you know, misanthropic. Uh, it's always good to read Charles Bukowski, the degenerate drunk. And he has one line and a poem. And I think the name of the poem is, I wanted to overthrow the government, but all I came down with was somebody else's wife. It's the name of the poem. Uh, and he said, but I guess she felt as I was. She felt as I. This is them in bed after, I guess, the woman cheats. Uh, but I guess she felt as I that the weakness was not government, but man, one at a time, that men were never as strong as their ideas, and that ideas were governments turned into men. And so it, I, at the end of the day, go, okay, I need to find out personally what I find a free lifestyle would be, then see how that free lifestyle jives with somebody else, and where we disagree, let's create that space of freedom so we don't, you know, we're not haranguing one another all the time. Um, I, I I love your approach here, man, because it is a personal touch. Uh, before we hit a break, how can folks find the book, Stay Away from the Libertarians? Well, right now they can go ahead and pre-order an autographed edition on my website, RW, so R is in Remso, W is in WhiskeyMartinez.com slash book. You can go ahead and pre-order a signed copy there. Or you can go ahead and just wait for the regular paperback or Kindle edition on Amazon on June 23rd. Awesome, awesome. And I'm going to have to call you that from now on, Rimzo Whiskey Martinez. <laughs> I like well, you know, that. You know what's really funny? Quick side note, my middle name is William, but you go from, like, the most Latino first name to William, and then you just, you know, finish it off with Martinez, <laughs> and people are always like, how did that end up there? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Here, well, um, we're going to have a quick break here. And before we do, folks, I, I want to tell folks about my good friend, and he really is a good friend, uh, Eddie Bader, with the Goodson Group. Had pizza with him several times because, I mean, he's a big pizza fan, but he's also a fantastic real estate agent here in the River Region area. So if you're thinking about buying or selling your home here in the area, give Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group a call, 322-0662, 322-0662. You might not think that you can buy a home or that you want to go through the process of setting up and selling a home. That's why you give somebody like Eddie a call. And maybe you feel stuck. I've been in there. Like, I feel stuck in this apartment and jumping from apartment to apartment, stuck in renting homes. But Eddie Bader can walk you through the process. Once you have a plan, it opens your eyes to all sorts of opportunities. And maybe you can actually cheaper than renting afford that great place right on lake martin maybe you can afford that place in a revitalized downtown montgomery so again give eddie bader with the goodson group a call 322-0662 322-0662 and coming back we'll continue to be talking to rimzo whiskey martinez he's had a long well week or months of campaigning so I hope he still stays lucid. Actually, no, I hope you don't. I hope you get a little wacky as we go on Rimzo. But Elvis there will be drinking tonight. <laughs> there will be whiskey and drinking tonight. Taking us out, Elvis Costello. Costello. That was a weird... Maybe I'm getting loopy. Off the My Aim is True album. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll be right back, folks. Joey Clark. 
Had to let that play, ladies and gentlemen. Who doesn't love a little Elvis Costello? The angels want to wear my red shoes. We're talking to Rimzo Martinez. Check out his website, rwmartinez.com. It's where you can early pick up a signed copy, I believe, of the book, Stay Away from the Libertarians. Kind of a semi-autobiographical uh, account of well, what Rimzo has done through in his life his transformation personally, but what he's learned working in politics as a libertarian. And Rimso, there's one aspect of the book um, that you talk about, uh, you know, the the token aspect. And this definitely happens on the right. I think it happens on both sides. Um, But the, the idea that we have somebody who isn't a honky that actually wants to join our party. And what has been your experience in kind of being put in that box? Man, I'm like a racial chupacabra because <laughs> I've got a half Korean mother and a half Puerto Rican father, and my middle name is William. So obviously, the FAFSA in affirmative action had no clue what to do with me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I finally started getting involved in Republican politics, one thing I learned very fast was that. Uh, there aren't a lot of people, you know, that aren't white. And that's not a big deal, except when you consider that these guys haven't necessarily come to the neighborhood to come and talk to us. So when they do, they go ahead and they make sure that they talk very slow, because obviously I'm illiterate, and they go ahead and talk about immigration. But plot twist, I'm an American citizen. So that doesn't necessarily matter to me as much as what you guys are doing with my tax. And that's the biggest thing that bugs me. Mm. They, they say that the left plays into identity politics, but the left does it so often. And, you know, to the Republicans' credit, they've identified the issues, but they've done a terrible job at it. And I think I finally used my political science degree for once in my adult life because uh, I tried to provide a very clear and present example of that. You know, one of the... One of the you know, situations I bring up is, you know, one reason Roy Moore lost was that he didn't win any minority majority community in Alabama. Because apart from the scandals and everything else, he didn't go to the neighborhood because Republicans just assumed they weren't going to get it. Right. Exactly. Well, and I I recommended that uh, Judge Roy Moore actually do like a small two-man rendition of Mamma Mia with Doug Jones, so you know Doug could take the take a chance, take a chance, take a chance part. Roy could do the does your mama know part. Um, I mean, it, it, it would have worked out. I think it would have gotten him more votes because he could probably sing better than Mister or now Senator Jones. Uh, it it is um, it's interesting because I've I'm I guess a white guy, Polish and Scottish, and I think some Russian heritage. Oh no, Russian. Collusion. Russian heritage. Uh, so I I really, you know, when people talk all this checking your privilege thing, you know, I've experienced two things with that phrase. One is to just shut up person who is assumed to be privileged and probably has some privileges. But the other is people have different experiences. And I just have never had that experience of being put in a box. Though lately, I am, I've got some long hair longer than most women on the left now. I'm rocking the Jesus hair, man. 
And I, when politicians come into this studio, it, I'm like a Rorschach test without the ink blots, the things they assume about me. So I get assumptions a little bit, but it's never been along, you know, ethnic, uh, racial lines. It just has to be frustrating. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you throw in your politics and your religion to it, and they just never understand. I mean, you know, when people find out that I'm a Christian and a libertarian, they must obviously think that's an oxymoron. Uh, when I tell them that I'm a libertarian and a Republican, libertarians think I'm a sellout, Republicans think I'm on drugs. Mm. Or, you know, maybe I'm of a alternative lifestyle or something. I mean, they never take me as me, and then they never go ahead and ask why. And the why is what matters. Because the why tells the story. And there's always a reason people end up where they are. And, you know, I've met, uh, you know, just so many different people from so many different walks of life who are in the conservative movement, the liberty movement. And, you know, not, not one of them is the same. Exactly. And that's why I got into uh, documentaries. You know, I filmed a, a story about Delegate Nick Freitas, who's running for U.S. Senate out here back in November, called American Statesman, the Nick Freitas story. Because nobody's ever really given a fair, objective look at a Republican campaign or a Republican candidate. Because they just assume that they're all Mitt Romney. And, you know, I went ahead and wrote this book because, you know, how many different intros to libertarianism do we need? We don't need more why libertarian. We need who are the libertarians. Yes. And they're not Gary Johnson. Exactly. They're not... So if, we don't, if we don't tell our own stories, other people, you know, to their credit... Do you blame them for assuming? I don't get mad anymore. Right. Exactly. I just don't. Exactly. I've, I've become very zen about it. And again, folks, uh, for more, like in detail, uh, Remzo's story, stay away from the libertarians. Get early copy on his website, rwmartinez.com. Or you said it's June 23rd. It'll be out Kindle version, Amazon. Kindle and print on Amazon. Awesome, awesome. Now, I, I do want to get more in, into this uh, why question. Who is Rimzo beyond any sort of political label? Like, what, is, what are the things that make you smile? Like, the music, the movies, the any weird idiosyncrasies that make you, you? Uh, so, here, here's a great opportunity for me to go nerd out, but let me tell you what I'm doing tomorrow. Okay. Tomorrow, I'm going to go to my favorite Vietnamese restaurant because I love Asian food. And then I'm going to spend probably three hours perusing the local comic book store. And then I'm going to go see Avengers Infinity War for the third time. I've seen and it three that times is my reward. Yeah, like that is my reward to myself. Because the thing I love more than politics is literally anything. But, uh, you know, I... I try and, you know, actually, you know, I don't mention it in the book, but, you know, comic books are a big reason why I think I'm a libertarian, because I hated censorship growing up. Mm -hmm. And I loved the message that a lot of the stories had, where you're going up against authoritarianism. And, uh, you know, ultimately it's fun, because what you have, and I love going to Awesome Con every year in D.C., because what you have is you have people of every different socioeconomic and ethnic background ever all geeking out over Deadpool or Star Wars, or Green Era, or something. And I just love that escapism, because I think what we do far too often is we're so focused and just around us that we rarely try and go and find the things that are fun. And then you have the opposite sometimes. You know, there were 10,000 people at the Caps Parade today, except we're not getting that many people voting in the primary. I mean, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit frustrating, but 
you know, I, I go for what I love. And, you know, I'm a giant comic book nerd. I'm a cinephile to the nth degree. Got one of those Cinemark uh, movie memberships because apparently I like to burn money like that. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's typically where I am. I'm not necessarily a political person by nature. It's just something that I found myself falling into by yeah. grace or by vice somehow. And I think there are a lot of people, uh, people you've probably worked with who've run for office, people out there listening right now who felt an obligation to get involved or at least uh, informed about politics. We don't expect to find ourselves at this point. But I wanted to, you know, Infinity War, I've seen it three times myself. Um, I love that you have a multi-million dollar movie that's probably made over a billion something worldwide. And it is essentially a three-hour tragedy that is a, a commentary on the many ways one can sacrifice. And I think that word is taken for granted in our society of, of self-sacrifice and sacrifice for others. Um, but there's an old-fashioned sacrifice of sacrificing everybody else um, that is making its way back. And you know, I, I, when I first saw that, I was just blown away. I wasn't quite in tears, but to take a comic book medium full of action and all sorts of amazing things and yet to have a scene, I don't want to give it away completely, that is like straight out of Greek tragedy. It's out of the Iliad and the Odyssey, having to, well, do a certain thing to a daughter. Like, this is what people are accomplishing now uh, in cinema. It, it blew me away. Yeah, and I mean, you look at that, and you can go ahead and, you know, use it as a modern commentary of our current culture, because, you know, sometimes we're far too willing to sacrifice those around us. I mean, how many friendships have been ruined because of politics? Right. I know a woman that refuses to have sex with her husband, even to this day, because he voted for Trump and she voted for Hillary. Oh, my. So, I'm expecting an invitation to his divorce party rather soon. <laughs> but, you know, how often do we use children as props? How often do we use others and we just completely consume them? And then when they say, please stop, I can't do anymore, we just push them away. Exactly. And what do we get out of it? Yeah. Is the reward really worth it at the end of the day? I, I don't think it is. I mean, but that's the obvious answer for me. And, you know, I'm thinking now on, like, the Iliad theme. I want to offer to you what the gods offered to Paris. Would you want to be the most admired man in the world, the most powerful man in the world, or have the love, the affection of the most beautiful woman in the world? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 that, it's that seduction. It's that want for power and everything else that's just far too blinding. And, you know, you see this on the left and you see this on the right, and ultimately it comes down to this. When you pursue absolute power, absolute power is going to absolutely corrupt. And that's the, that's the biggest thing that I try and get through my book. It's like, listen, if you get involved in the rat race, you're going to run like a rat in that wheel over and over and over and over again until you realize, you know, what are you going for? It's like what we mentioned earlier. What is your definition of freedom? And then when you go and fight for it, you better remember it because if you just get in that wheel, man, I don't think people, I, I know some people who are just burning themselves out because they don't know when to stop. Mm. And frankly, they will never find their pursuit of happiness. Right. Uh, and I think an example of, well, 
success is the best revenge, if you want to think of it in that way. But I think success is also the best model. Actually, we were talking during the break, going out there and doing something that improves the world is the most compelling way to get people to fall in love and understand your vision for the world. Uh, absolutely, because my, uh, another criticism of libertarians is this. They'll go ahead and they'll spend, uh, you know, large sums of money to go travel to a libertarian convention, and they'll go ahead and act like they actually really matter. But then when you actually need them to go knock a door for a candidate or go give a few bucks to help somebody, they're never there. But trust me, you say one thing they don't like on Facebook, and you are screwed. <laughs> And do you think the, I mean, we're not talking face-to-face now. I think at least, though, a phone conversation is better than interaction on social media. A big theme of the show, though, is, I can't tell you, Rumsel, how many people I've had tell me that it's been forever since I've sat down for an hour, really like 40-something minutes of talk time, and not looked at my phone and had a conversation with somebody. It, I think social media plays a big role, not only in how depressed people are these days, but how the vitriol gets churned and churned and made part of this political machine. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what have we done? We've created the ultimate celebrity complex where we feel that we're under a constant microphone. Perform, monkey, perform. Yeah. And then when you have to perform, you're going to end up acting and behaving and doing things that are just not typical of you at all. How, if, and I don't think we've ever had this before. Have you ever had the experience of, like, you, you had an interaction with somebody online, say it was negative, and then had the chance to actually meet them in person? Absolutely, and they all say the same thing. Where I'm so, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And then what do I do? I, I throw a punch them. So I'm joking. <laughs> I say, well, maybe you should have given me a chance, but because, you know, I've gotten to the point where I, I've actually been very good about this. I have not gotten into a Facebook argument in 18 months. Yeah, that's right. I keep counting. I've not gotten to a Facebook argument with eighteen in eighteen months, and I go ahead and deflect them with God's greatest internet weapon, memes. I troll them and I make fun of them, and sometimes I make fun of myself to you know just kind of neutralize the argument. But you know, when you go ahead and you argue online, you're not getting anything out of it. No one has ever had their worldview changed by a very, very long-winded Facebook rant. No, it comes across as an attack, even if the rant might be correct. I mean, I, yeah, like you can win an argument, but are you winning supporters? Because if you're not winning supporters, the argument victory doesn't matter. Exactly. And I, it's sad that there are many, you know, grown men and women that just literally do not understand that. That's an alien concept. Yeah, on, I've been advising, and I told a few young libertarians at this conference at FECON, that before you try to win an argument, try to understand the person and then come to a point of understanding where you could potentially love them and i don't mean like you know romantic love but maybe but you know love them as a person like you said you've met all sorts of people uh, and it is documented I mean, you've quite the memory dude all throughout this book stay away from the libertarians where you know is there any parts of the book where you would go back and wish you had had a bit more tact Wish you had been a little more understanding towards people you might have an argument with? No, because that wouldn't have made for a very interesting book. True, true. 
Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, like, I, I needed those mess-ups to happen. I needed those bad decisions, those wrong choice of words. I needed that to get to where I was because, uh, you know, what we don't often look at is their own journey. And, you know, you look at the hero's journey, and I think we all go about that in our own life, whether big or small. If you're not constantly changing as a person, brother, let me tell you, you're just not living because part of living is evolving as a human. And I think I do a pretty good job of showing that, uh, you know, in myself. I mean, I'm not the same person I was in the beginning chapter of that book because if me right now in this moment were to go meet myself back in 2012, I would hate myself. Mm. I would look at myself and say, you are a freaking abomination. How did I end up as this pinko hippie libertarian? Like, how did I end up this way? Right. And honestly, as I look back, I've made mistakes, but man, I wouldn't change a single thing because right here, the destination is so good. It's so sweet, good, bad, or indifferent. And I'm happy that at least I've been able to change because I can say that and I'm proud to say I'm wrong about things because at least when you say you're wrong, you won't be wrong again. And, uh, I mean, I think, I think that's what people really need to look at sometimes. They need to take a good look at themselves in the mirror and say, how, how am I different? Have I gotten better? And then you go ahead and, you know, it's a giant rabbit hole from there. Well, and folks, again, you can find the book, Stay Away from the Libertarians, at rwmartinez.com early, or it will be coming out uh, later this month, uh, the 23rd, um, on Amazon Kindle versions. And as I was looking over at Rimzo, it was reminding me of my own path. I, I very much relate um, to what your experience has been. I might not have been as active in campaigns, but I think I, I get a big dose of a lot of what you experience here just through the phones, through the different guests that come into these radio studios in my hermit hole. And I wanted to share with you, probably on this topic, another line of poetry, one of my favorites, um, from W.H. Auden. Um, and this is, I believe, from the poem 1939, the famous one, uh, right as, you know, everything's going down with the Nazis, and he can kind of see what's going on in the world. But he, he ends the poem with this, quote, There is no such thing as the state, and no one exists alone. Hunger allows no choice to the citizen or the police. We must love one another or die. Defenseless under the night, our world in stupor lies, yet dotted everywhere, ironic points of light flash out wherever the just exchange their messages. May I, composed like them of eros and of dust, be leaguered by the same negation and despair, show an affirming flame. And I think your book certainly is a testament to your own affirming flame. So thank you for that, Remzone. Thank you for being on the show tonight. Joey, it's been a pleasure as always. I'm, thank you for your kind words. And it's always a blast to be on. Well, and, and whatever you get into next, stay in touch. Love to have you back, man. Will do, sir. Thank you. Well, folks, that was the show tonight. Join me tomorrow night. I have no clue what I'm doing, and I like it like that. No, I'll probably have Mr. Spotlow in. I'll have God's gift to humanity, Mr. Brandon. It's going to be a good time. Have a Wednesday roundtable. Have some fun. So take us out, Mr. Costello. Sad.